Life is busy, especially if you've got a very important podcast to host. If you want fewer trips to the grocery store and a freezer full of meat, get ButcherBox. They've got incredible deals on high-quality meat and seafood, and it's delivered right to your door. You can customise your ButcherBox plan, and they'll throw in recipes, tips, guides, and hacks. ButcherBox meat is humanely raised. There are no antibiotics or added hormones, so you can choose from grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood. And shipping is 100% free. Sign up at butcherbox.com underworld and use the code underworld to get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. That's butcherbox.com underworld and the code underworld to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Hi guys, and welcome to the Underworld Podcast, where every week we take you into a crazy and wonderful story from the world of organised crime. I'm your host, Sean Williams. Uh, I'm coming to you from Berlin, and I'm joined, uh, amazingly, by my co-host, Danny Gold. Yeah, yeah, guys. I'm I'm in Ukraine, so I haven't really been available the past couple of weeks, and very sorry about that. I will never leave you alone with Sean again for this long <laughs> in the future. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I think this is a pretty great episode. Sean, you've been on the road a ton recently too, yeah? Yeah, I've been all over. I was in Belize, the States, all over Germany doing some crazy story about Vladimir Putin, and now France. That was something different, but um, yeah, yeah, more stuff about more about that soon. But where are Ukraine? Are you right now? Yeah, so I'm in I'm in Kharkiv right now, which is in northeast Ukraine, close to the border with Russia. It's the second biggest city, and it had been under pretty intense shelling since the beginning of the war. In recent days, they've um they've really pushed the Russian army back, some units like all the way back to the border. So they're having some great advances. I was able to get out to some of them recently, I think yesterday or two. So be on the lookout for that, and we'll probably do. Maybe a bonus episode getting more into the details of this stuff. But I had a big story in Rolling Stone last week about these guys that um, deliver aid to the front line. Yeah, One of them crazy. sells a hangover remedy drink. It's a, <laughs> it's a good time. But uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I've, uh, I've, I've kind of slacked on the episodes. I will make that up to you guys. But Sean's got, got a really interesting one coming right here, yeah? Yeah. So uh, folks might know, but I was in Catania, Sicily in uh, Italy a couple of months ago now, uh, doing a story for Sports Illustrated about a rugby club that's kind of standing up to the mafia out there, doing some great work, uh, really interesting guys. It was a wonderful trip. So they've turned it into a little mini documentary. Uh, and we thought we'd uh, sort of publish it here and, and learn a bit more about what Danny's up to at the same time. Uh, what are your plans? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I've been here about two and a half, three weeks, and uh, I'm going to stay in Kharkiv a couple more days. We're working on a couple things, and then I'm going to try to go, I think, to the south, to Odessa and Mykolaiv, um, maybe spend some time in Kiev a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, I should be back around in, uh, in two weeks, and we can get back to some regularly scheduled episodes and, and keep things moving with, with all, the, uh, all the stories that you know and love, or don't know, <laughs> but will love, and everything like that. Oh yeah. So, who you been spending like most of your time out, like out there with? You were with a bunch of the volunteers, right? 
um, like out in the east somewhere. Yeah, I was with the volunteer group. They were more like uh, volunteers that that don't fight. They just kind of, you know, the guy sources the stuff, delivers, gets vests, uh, like, like okay. body armor. Um, thermal optics are big here, drones from all over the world, and drives them to his friends on the front and gives it cool. to them. He's a bit older, so he can't really fight. And uh, the other day I was with the Ukrainian forces. Um, I think it's a mixture of the Territorial Defense Force and a Ukrainian National Guard in this area here that was i posted some photos actually on 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 twitter if you guys go look maybe i'll put them on the underworld instagram account yeah um but yeah so i was with those guys for a bit and we're trying to work something out with them maybe spend a couple nights with them and 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 really see what's going on because it's been uh it's it's crazy man i mean they were like setting up their their sleeping areas in like the wooded area the forest you know they're in russian trenches that they cleared out a couple days ago now they've taken them over there's like burned rusted out tanks everywhere and you can hear just artillery thumping maybe like a mile away. So it, it's not what you okay. would, I don't know. I mean, the, the definition of the front is, is loose, right? But it's, um, yeah. I was actually kind of concerned. They're super relaxed. And I'm like, are you sure we're okay just to be out here relatively <laughs> close to the open? And because we were on higher terrain and the, uh, the Russian forces were quite busy with the, uh, the more advanced parts of their unit, they were pretty, uh, pretty chill about it. But I was not. And I don't like walking <laughs> in those areas too when they've recently been cleared. I'm just terrified of like IEDs and mines, especially after working in Syria and Iraq. So that's always, that's always fun. And I've, I've started smoking again, so that's going well. Oh, that's a sign that everything's going yeah. really, really well. Um, so like, how are you getting around there? Yeah, man. It's, uh, I mean, some people have rented cars, but there's, there's some fuel problems. I actually, you can take the overnight train from Kiev to Kharkiv, which is crazy because Kharkiv is still being shelled, you know? And uh, the train, the trains are amazing here, but I've, unfortunately really started traveling a lot like overnight so i've been taking night trains quite a bit which you know i thought uh awesome. would be something that i wouldn't have to do a lot in life after i was like 25 but here i am and uh yeah it's uh it, but yeah you no know, car cars like driving up and we had to walk at the last place we were at because it was pretty heavy and i, I didn't want to take a civilian car like a soft car um over to where we were so we kind of parked at one point and, uh, you know, they told us it was fine and they made us put these, this camouflage netting over the car, which kind of means it's not fine, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's kind of how we did it. And we kind of walked up to where they were and everything like that. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been tough access. I think for a lot of journalists has been really tough to really get where things are happening. Um, unfortunately, like a number were killed in the early weeks, a couple that, that I think, um, we knew and, uh, and you know they've always been pretty pretty strict with uh with access and i think it's it's unfortunately you know they're they're it, it's a necessity they're doing it cuz they don't want reporters getting killed and it's a it's a brutal war you know it's not like covering some other wars where it, you know this is artillery and artillery right it's it's uh it's heavy duty stuff and it's uh it's it's pretty grinding you know and you can see it on these guys faces when you're out there it's not um this isn't like raids and, and, and small arms fire, right? It's like heavy, heavy duty stuff. But the guys I was with seem their, their morale is super high, man. They, uh, they're, they're claiming, you know, they've pushed the Russians essentially to the border and the North, the Northeast area from where we were. And they think they can do it where we were in the North and Northwest within the week, which is cool. Might be a little, a little bit, um, presumptuous, but they've they've really yeah. you know these lines that were held for for weeks and weeks and weeks almost months and they broke them recently so they're they're feeling quite good about things and I know they're getting new equipment every day so you know hopefully that uh they they wrap it up soon 
Yeah, definitely. And I was lucky enough to read a draft of yours, a story that's coming out pretty soon. Do you want to tell us a little bit uh, about that, if you can? Yeah, it's being edited right now. Probably. It, it's just a, a crazy story of a family that um, the woman was a doctor. Uh, her husband was a former police officer and they were in an occupied area for, for five weeks. And she was basically the only doctor treating this village and everyone was coming to her house and she was treating them. And the Russians took the three of them and tortured them. They let her go. They took the husband and son first to Belarus to a filtration camp. Then they took the husband to prison, a prison in Russia, which is what they've been doing. They've been taking Ukrainians to, to actual prisons in Russia. Um, he was freed a month later uh, in a prisoner exchange. The son is still missing. And the husband is like, um, he was an Afghan war vet. So he, he, he was in the Soviet military, like commando style, 82 and 84 in Afghanistan. He's tough as nails, you know? Yeah. So if anyone can, can, can survive this situation, it's him. And he wasn't even, you know, he was like, it was, you know, he, he dealt with it. He, he almost was, he had some very bad things happen to him, but he said he's fine. He just wanted to know his family was safe. And they're still waiting to hear about the son. And hopefully when this comes out, um, which again, I'll, I'll put up and, and make sure people can see it. Uh, we can get some answers and, and figure it out because it's, I mean, it's crazy, man. Like they, it, he was in prison. He was taken to a Russian prison. He's a civilian. Like he's a civilian. The guy's 58 yeah. years old, right? Nice. He wasn't fighting. He was at home helping deliver food and helping treat people. Like he's a civilian. They accused him of directing artillery, but like there's no way he was doing that. And uh, his son's a civilian too. And um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty heavy. So hopefully that will get out there this week and you guys can, uh, can read about it because it's a, it's a pretty harrowing piece. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's some heartbreaking details in there. It's a tough one, but uh, some amazing reporting. So if you're listening, like, please do check that out. Uh, I think loads of folks have asked more about our journalism and we've both been insanely busy with loads of stuff. So we'll have more of this kind coming up on the Patreon, hopefully. Uh, are you up to much now other than smoking mobile reds? Writing all night, but yeah, thank you guys. Sorry this this episode is kind of unorthodox uh, in the way it's done. But, um, you know, people always tell us, I think, especially on the Patreon, and those are the people that we care about the most that uh, they want to hear what we're up to and what we're getting into, even if it's not specifically re- related to organized crime. So, um, yeah. Ah, did the line go dead? Uh, maybe I lost you there. This is like proper war zone reporting, guys. Equipment trouble. Wait, are you back? I think I can hear you. Uh, yeah, anyway, like, I hope this is the kind of thing that is interesting to everyone listening to this. Um, yeah, what do you reckon? Yeah, hopefully it is. Anyway, uh, I'll let you get on with it and, and give them an explanation of what they're about to hear because I think it's pretty cool. All right, man. I will do that. Just that. Uh, take care and stay safe. Later, guys. All right, yeah. So while Danny is in Kharkiv writing and smoking and being a proper war journo, um, yeah, I'm going to just do a quick intro to this show because it's a bit different, as we said. It's about a trip that I went on a couple of months ago to Catania, which is like the second city in Sicily. Uh, where I got to meet a bunch of really cool, interesting people who uh, many years ago set up this rugby club uh, to kind of fight the draw of organized crime for young people in the city. Uh, it's in this place called Librino, which is like the Bronx of uh, Sicily. It's like huge, old 1960s and 70s housing estates, project buildings. Uh, it was kind of like a utopian project gone wrong uh, and it just became one of the most crime-ridden places in the whole of Europe. Uh, I think it has the highest joblessness in Europe. I might be wrong about that, looking back at it now. Um, but I spent about a week there uh, with a wonderful photographer as well, Alessio, uh, and we, we put together this story that's out 
today as you're listening to this. Um, and yeah, so please listen to this, read that story. And of course, like SI uh, Sports Illustrated are going to publish it on their own uh, podcast as well. So check that out because, I mean, it's Sports Illustrated. So obviously it's really, really good. But yeah, um, I think I'll just leave it there. And uh, we'll be back with, with a, a probably more conventional show next week. But uh, yeah, let's know what you think, guys. Hope you enjoy it. And now, the story of an Italian rugby club, Briganti di Librino. The name Briganti, it comes from the word brigand, which is someone who's a rebel or a, a pirate or someone rallying against the status quo or the authorities of the time. And actually, Briganti also comes from this Calabrian folk song called Briganti Simori, or roughly to die a brigand. And there's a key line from that song, and it goes... The land is ours and nobody can touch it. Let's make our enemies tremble. There's been equipment stolen. Someone fired a bullet into the door of the clubhouse. It's just an ongoing fight against organised crime in Labrino and it's not going to stop anytime soon. The players feel so strongly about their club these days that they actually put in night shifts to guard the Santiadoro every night. Can you imagine Leo Messi or Neymar putting in night shifts to guard the Parc des Princes in Paris? This is Sean Williams. He travelled to the foot of Mount Etna to write a story for Sports Illustrated about a rugby club standing up to the mafia. From here on out, you'll hear his voice and some of the people he met through a translator. Labrino is a sprawling suburb of Catania, which is the second largest city on the Italian island of Sicily. It was built in the late 60s and 70s as a modern utopia, feeding the city with workers. As it turned out, the money dried up. The city didn't build the shops and the swimming pools and the gyms and the facilities that the people had been promised. And rather than be a utopia, it kind of ended up as a ruined, dystopian, crumbling collection of tower blocks. One of the most interesting guys I met while I was in Catania was a player for the first men's team called Alessio Panabianco. So my relationship with Librino, it's love and hate at the same time. Hate because it's not a good place where you can grow up, but also I love it because it's the place where I grew up. It's my childhood. There wasn't a single high school, opportunities were scarce, and in scenarios like this, the mafia can easily take hold. Just down the road is the centre of Catania. That's like an ancient city, cobblestone streets, beautiful churches, all the things you might think about when you think of Sicily, Italy, or even the Godfather, which of course was set on the island, and is how most people think Italian mafia, (laughs) mafiosi, look like. Although uh, the people who run Labrino, they're not wearing pinstripes and they don't have Tommy guns in violin cases. This is a very, very different type of organised crime. These were tracksuit-wearing, drug-smuggling thugs who murdered thousands in a series of wars and bombing campaigns across the era. Finally, in 1986, Sicilian authorities cracked down and conducted the world's largest trial, a special made bunker inside of a Palermo prison. By 1992, prosecutors had convicted 338 
of the so-called Maxi Trial's 475 defendants. Later that year, mob assassins murdered those prosecutors, shocking Sicilians. But the deaths were the last convulsions of an underworld on its knees. In the following years, the island's mafia grew more diffuse, with a growing income divide. Wealthier mobsters moved into white-collar crimes. Small-time crooks battled for scraps in poor local markets such as Librino, peddling stolen goods and drugs through kids who stood to face only reduced juvenile prison terms. This uh, poor, social poor condition, actually it's, um, it's gold for the market yeah. because maybe they have cash, cash mm. money to, to support the family. Enter Briganti di Librino, a rugby club. It started at a local social club when one of the leaders, Piero Mancuso, brought in a rugby ball and started tossing it around between the members. The club's philosophy was staunchly left-wing, anti-fascist, anti-racist, welcoming everyone into the fold in a city which was pretty right-wing at the time. They wanted to give everyone a good start, basically, keep kids away from crime. Rugby isn't very popular in southern Italy or Sicily at all. Some people play it in the north, but really it's soccer or calcio in the local language, which is the preeminent sport. But soccer has a long and sordid history with the mafia. Members of Naples' Camorra crime syndicate plied Diego Maradona with drugs and sex workers in the 1980s. There's so much that is intertwined in Italian sport with organised crime. There are dozens of clubs where there have been mafiosi running the place. Mancuso was also wary of soccer's on-field culture, which rewards flops and theatricality, and which centres on an obsession with individual talent. In contrast, no ball reaches the opposing try line without everybody's involvement. Soccer is balletic. Rugby is trench warfare. In rugby, you need to look at what you have around you, what there is in the playground. It's not enough to have in your team like a very good player. You have also to uh, work with the others. If you fall says Gloria Mertoli, the captain of Briganti's senior women's team. Teammates will help you back up. This is the like life because uh, this will help you always to, to live, uh, standing up again after you fell. So you fall and then you stand up and you continue. The San Teodoro is Briganti's beloved ground, but they actually started there as squatters. It was built in 1997 to house the World University Games, but no one ever even used it and it just laid there, growing moss and going derelict. But Mancuso was pretty sure that he wanted this to be his home turf. So from when the club was first formed in 2006, all the way up to 2012, the club was essentially squatters, just being there illegally, playing, training, without the consent of the authorities or the police or anyone, much less the mafia. On April 25th, 2012, which was uncoincidentally 32 years to the day after Italy was liberated from fascism, Mancuso moved everybody into the San Teodoro and declared it to be their official home. Paperwork be damned. Giuseppe Cuncolo was exactly the kind of kid the club was aiming at. He was a 13-year-old from Librino, and he was kind of getting wound up in some of the darker sides of the neighbourhood's activities. 
In 2012, just after the club rocked up at the San Teodoro, he was knocked off his moped and killed. No one truly knows what happens to him, but pretty much everyone in the club suspects it was to do with his activities in the Mafia. To honour Giuseppe, Briganti named their clubhouse after him. It became kind of a focal point, a rallying point for the club to kind of cement their vision to try and buck the trend of the mafia and the organised crime that was taking over Labrino at the time. But the Giuseppe Consolo clubhouse, that's just one small part of the whole San Teodoro complex. You've got the field and you've got the playing areas, of course, but... You've also got these giant hangars, like air hangars. One of them's got a gym in it, another one's got a cafe, there's a bar, there's a learning area, there's a library for kids. It's really like a holistic neighbourhood spot that all the kids can come to. But above all, they can be safe and they have someone to look out for them and look after them. Over the coming years, the club grew and grew and hundreds of young kids from the local neighbourhood were getting involved in becoming brigands against organised crime. But... That wasn't the end of the club's war against the Mafia. At midnight, on January 11th, 2018, a blaze broke out in the Giuseppe Consolo clubhouse, destroying almost everything inside. Authorities never officially connected the fire to the Cosa Nostra, who rely heavily on arson as an intimidation tactic. But to Briganti, it was a clear message from the mob. We run Labrino. They want to show that power when they burn down here. They wanted to say, we are here. This is us. They know that we take from the streets the guys that could be their workers. The following morning, everyone showed up to train. Players, staff and their families. And the place was a wreck. But rather than sit around or feel sorry for themselves, Briganti did, I guess, what Briganti do best, and that's just carry on playing. So we must react. The day after the, the fire, we did the, the after schools on the stairs, and uh, they did the trainings. They ran drills. They just kind of carried on through, which is what they've done ever since they were first founded. There was a huge response from outside the club in the rugby world. Clubs from Ireland and Australia and New Zealand and England and France, they all came together, stumping up the cash and and the gear to to build Briganti back up from the ashes. There's been equipment stolen. Someone fired a bullet into the door of the clubhouse. In 2021, someone came over to the Briganti clubhouse and they torched the club bus that was sitting behind the place at the time. The club have still kept the burnt-out tyre marks from that incident so that everyone can see just what it means to be a brigand. It's just an ongoing fight against organised crime in Labrino and it's not going to stop anytime soon. The players feel so strongly about their club these days that they actually put in night shifts to guard the San Teodoro every night. So they will go in groups of three or four at a time and they'll stay there all the way through the night guarding the doors, making sure no one's coming in to torch the place or to threaten them or to steal equipment or even steal the astroturf that they've built their new field out of, which actually happened pretty recently. These young guys are Briganti through and through. They've been there for years. 
They've seen the best of it, the worst of it, and they're determined to kind of push it to the next level. And that's not just behind the scenes or as a social outreach program. They actually want to be good on the field. They're trying to move up the leagues. They want to be a part of the higher, even semi-pro or professional leagues in Italy. They've certainly got the whole of the local neighborhood behind them. So the sky's the limit. We resisted and we continue, but nothing is eternal. So we don't know, maybe something will put us in the situation that we cannot continue. But for now, we are winning. This club means so, so much more to its players and their family and the whole community than just a bunch of guys turning up on a Saturday or a Sunday to play rugby. Briganti is part of Labrino now. It's just become such a lifeline for kids who have grown up in poor or even violent families associated with organised crime. I mean, it's impossible to get away from the sort of crime that's on the streets in this area. There's people dealing drugs everywhere. Violent clashes between rival gangs at pretty much every other day. And Briganti is a safe haven. More than one player described it to me as their happy place. One of the most interesting guys I met while I was in Catania was one of the first men's team players called Alessio Panabianco. He's this squat, really muscular, really cool, talented player, but he also has this really piercing stare and a way of speaking really passionately about the club. And it's not surprising given that he's grown up just a couple blocks away from the San Teodoro. I wasn't born here, but I grew up here and I started playing rugby at uh, the age of 12. I didn't know about rugby before I started with the Briganti. And he feels like such a huge responsibility. He's one of these young generation and he wants to teach the younger kids. He takes training there all the time. I mean, there literally isn't a day where this guy isn't down at the club, either teaching young people how to play rugby or hanging out at the library or just like messing about with his friends. Here's one thing he told me. Of course, I can say also my parents uh, have a part, but the 80% of what I am today is the Briganti. I imagine my life uh, very dark, without light. I briganti uh, are the light. Sean Williams wrote the story, The Land is Ours and Nobody Can Touch It, which appears in the magazine and on SI.com. You can also listen to him on the Underworld podcast. We'll have a link in our show notes. After a break, we take a look back at Urban Meyer's no good, very bad time as head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. 